to Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 to 17. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and of the son of Remaliah, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make the son of Tabil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen, for the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. The second reading is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had, a mind, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Well, good morning. It's, a, it's great to be with you. I'd uh, like to extend the welcome from Ben to, if you're new or visiting us this morning, welcome to our NTA mission team too, who are with us uh, this morning. 
It's great to, to have, uh, it's great to be together uh, as we approach this Christmas season. Please keep your Bibles open at uh, Matthew 1. And uh, will you pray with me as we, we come to reflect on this part of uh, God's Word? Our Father, we uh, thank you for your Word. And we ask that you give us insight now that we would understand it better, that we would respond to you as you call us to. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are you ready for Christmas? Two weeks out, how are you feeling? Maybe you're exhausted. You know, Christmas is this kind of uh, end point to the year where, you know, it forces all sorts of deadlines upon us for some reason. You know, the it's got to be done by Christmas factor. Um, or just the, you know, the end of the year, the end of the school year uh, comes and, and uh, the exhaustion of teachers and students and parents as they kind of limp across the, across the line. Maybe you're feeling exhausted two weeks out from Christmas. Maybe you're excited. I mean, Christmas brings all sorts of exciting things like holidays, a break, a relief once the, all those deadlines of everything having to be done before Christmas gets done. Uh, presents can be exciting. Family get-togethers can be a cause of excitement and joy or, or perhaps exhaustion and dread depending on uh, the situation. But I want to say whether Christmas is a time of exhaustion or excitement, or maybe some sort of combination of them both, I reckon for many people, Christmas is, is a distraction from our fears and concerns in life. I mean, we face all sorts of fears and concerns, uh, worries, problems ranging from international conflicts to interpersonal tensions and, and even our own internal struggles. And I reckon this season of Christmas, with its exhaustion and its excitement, well, we kind of hope that it will at least distract us a little from our fears and concerns. I want us to see this morning that Christmas promises a lot more than merely distracting us from our fears and concerns. Christmas brings the answer to our greatest fears and concerns. And to see that, I want us to look at, uh, at, at this, this account of, of those first events of that first Christmas, as recorded in uh, Matthew's Gospel, which may be quite familiar to us, I imagine. But I want us to also dig into this event, uh, the, sorry, the background to this event, which we may be less familiar with. And I, I hope that this will help us to see to see Christmas with its exhaustion, with its excitement, to see our fears and concerns perhaps in a different light. Uh, amongst the events of that first Christmas, Matthew uh, 1, Matthew chapter 1 records for us that Joseph faced some pretty significant fears and concerns. He was pledged to be married to Mary. Uh, he would have no doubt had all sorts of hopes and dreams for the future. But then it says in verse 18, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. We're told through the Holy Spirit. Now, in that culture, being pregnant outside of wedlock would have been a matter of great scandal, great shame. This would have been devastating for Joseph. I mean, his wife-to-be had seemingly been unfaithful. So he, well, he had in mind to call things off. Verse 19 says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or you could read, was a righteous man, the right thing to do would be to, to call things off. And so he had in mind to divorce her. Notice there that this, um, 
this pledge to be married, just as a bit of an aside, this pledge to be married is a bit more than our concept of engagement. To call the marriage off constituted divorce. They were betrothed to be married. Uh, But Joseph was going to call things off, but he, he had in mind to do it quietly. He didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He planned to do it quietly. At any rate, this was, you've got to say, a devastatingly bad situation for Joseph. But Joseph didn't have the full picture. And so an angel of the Lord, a a messenger from God, appeared to him in a dream and delivered some news to him that really made the world of difference to his fears and concerns. The angel said there, verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice there, it's interesting that the first words the angel says is, don't be afraid. That seems to be a common theme for angels. Um, In fact, in in, um, Luke's gospel, there's three angels appear on three occasions uh, to uh, Zechariah, to Mary and to the shepherds. And the first thing that they say on each occasion is, don't be afraid. Um, Presumably because the sudden appearance of an angel is terrifying. Uh, However, in this case, in uh, Joseph's dream, it's not fear of the angel that is being relieved but fear of the situation of being married to a woman who has seemingly been unfaithful to him. It's revealed to him that the child is is not from unfaithfulness, but from God's miraculous intervention by his Holy Spirit. The God who created the universe, the heavens and the earth, by speaking them into being. This God has caused this child to be conceived within Mary. This is a message, a revelation that made the world of difference to Joseph's fears and concerns. Do not fear, God is doing something here. But the message of the angel doesn't stop there. More is is revealed. Verse 21, the angel says, She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, you might have a little footnote in your Bible that says that uh, Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Jesus came to, to save his people from their sins. And we probably know this. But notice that uh, the Matthew who's writing this account, he, he adds something at this point. He could have jumped straight from verse 21 to verse 24 and and said when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But before he goes there, he says, firstly, this is fulfilling something that God said long ago. Verse 22, the angel says, sorry, Matthew adds, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why does Matthew add this in to his account? Why does he make this this connection to what the Lord had said through the prophet? How does that that connection, how does it add to our understanding of what's going on here? See, we might think, oh, well, Matthew's just saying, um, hey, God said a, a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and look at that, a virgin's conceived and will give birth to a son. Cool, God is like faithful and stuff. Well, indeed, God is faithful. He is faithful to his promises. 
including that promise of Isaiah some 700 years ago. But this, this reference to Isaiah's prophecy does more than just remind us that God is faithful. To see that, we need to enter into the world of Isaiah in uh, ancient Israel, as described in Isaiah 7. So if you uh, can turn back in your Bibles, it will be on the screen, but I always think it's good to, to look in your own Bibles. Back to Isaiah chapter 7, where we're uh, in the midst of a, a time of great fear and concern. Uh, to give you the lie of the land, as a map here, Ahaz was, uh, was king of Judah, uh, based in its capital, Jerusalem. Now, to the north of Judah... So I think if you go to the next slide there, you'll be able to zoom in a little bit. There you are. Uh, to the north of Judah was uh, the, the other tribes of Israel, uh, also known as Ephraim, and they'd broken away from Judah, and uh, they were under the reign of Pekah, king of Israel. Further north again is Aram with its king, Rezin. So what have we got? We've got three kings, two in the north, going up against the one in the south. King Pekah of Israel... King Rezin of Aram against King Ahaz of Judah in Jerusalem. And Ahaz is, understandably, terrified. So the Lord sends Isaiah to, to reassure him. And this is his message from 7 verse 4. The Lord says, Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabiel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. The message from God through Isaiah to Ahaz is be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Aram and Ephraim, they might look scary to Ahaz, but to God, they're, they're like two smouldering stubs of firewood. Do not fear. God is doing something here. Trust him. So this is God's message to Ahaz in the face of this great threat. And the Lord wanted to give Ahaz even more reassurance. And so verse 10, we read, Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depth or in the highest heights. Ahaz is told to ask God for a sign. But, verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask. Now you've got to say that's a pretty dumb thing to do, to defy a direct command of God. God says, ask me for a sign, and Ahaz says, I will not ask. Now, he tries to cover up his defiant unbelief by adding, I will not put the Lord to the test. Which, ironically, by refusing to ask, he is actually testing the Lord's patience, as verse 13 goes on to say. But then despite Ahaz's refusal, the Lord still promises a sign. He says, verse 14, 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. The sign that God will give is that a virgin, or it could be translated young woman, will conceive and give birth to a son. And he will reject the wrong, choose the right, unlike Ahaz, unlike Judah, and will be called Emmanuel. God with us. And while the boy is still young, the Lord will lay waste to these two rival kings and will raise up against them the king of Assyria. Now, if we read on into chapter 8, we can see how that's expanded, how, um, how Isaiah made love to the prophetess, presumably his wife, who conceived and gave birth to a son. And while the boy is still young, the Lord promised to use the king of Assyria, the, the superpower of the day, to bring uh, to bring him against them like a mighty floodwater. I'll put up on the screen from Isaiah 8 verse 7. It's, uh, it says that it, that is Assyria, will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread, wing, outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Emmanuel. This Emmanuel sign, this God with us sign, is not just a, a kind of nice fuzzy that the God has come near to cheer us up and wish us, wish us a happy Christmas. Emmanuel means the sovereign almighty Lord has come near. And in the case of defiant rebellious kings and their people, he comes in judgment. But with this judgment, Emmanuel also comes this son who will reject the wrong and choose the right and bring deliverance for God's people. If we were to read on into chapter 9, we would read of that, that son, the child who was born, the son who is given with the government on his shoulders, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. This son will bring deliverance. So this is what Matthew taps into as, uh, as he says... Uh, as he quotes the fulfillment of this, uh, this prophecy of God. He says, this is what is fulfilled through the birth of this child of Mary, this child who will come as Emmanuel, God with us. Now, given our own capacity for rebellion and sin ourselves, this could be a matter of, of great fear for us. And the, the angel announces that he will come, not to condemn his people for their sins, but to save his people from their sins. We may be facing all sorts of fears and concerns at the moment, and Christmas activities may, may increase those or may provide some kind of distraction from those. But the greatest matter of fear for us the, the fear of God with us in judgment, of, being, of us being rightly condemned for our sin and rebellion, that fear has been met head on by this Christmas announcement. She will give birth to a son 
And you are to give him the name Jesus, the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. 700 years BC, Isaiah said to Ahaz, don't be afraid, God is doing something here. Before the birth of Jesus, the angel said to Joseph, don't be afraid, God is doing something here. God's word says to us today, don't be afraid, God is doing something here. God is giving us hope, he has given us hope, hope of the Saviour. So by way of implication, let me ask you two questions. Firstly, are you ready for Christmas? That is, have you acknowledged your greatest need, your biggest problem? Uh, Ahaz thought his biggest problem was the threat of these, these two northern kings, and the Lord said, they're not a problem, they're, they're like a, two smouldering stubs of firewood. Ahaz, his biggest problem was his own faithless rebellion. Joseph, well, he understandably thought his biggest problem was a seemingly unfaithful wife. The Lord said, don't stress, things are not as they seem. The bigger problem being sorted here is saving people from their sins. We may have various felt needs and concerns, but our greatest need, whether it's felt or not, our greatest need is to be saved from our sins, to be forgiven for our rejection of God and rejection of his ways, to, to be brought into relationship, right relationship with him again. That is our greatest need. Have you acknowledged your greatest need? Are you ready for Christmas, ready to see, in amongst all the, the, the tinsel and the activity, ready to see the message of deliverance that it brings? And secondly, flowing from that, have you received this gift? Have you put your trust in Jesus so that he will save you from your sins? See, our sins matter. Our sins matter and we deserve God's judgment just as Ahaz did. But such is God's love for us that Jesus came and died in our place so that we could be saved from God's judgment and be forgiven. This salvation is a gift. Have you received it? If you haven't, I want to say, what are you waiting for? Get ready for Christmas by coming before God in prayer and acknowledging your need, your greatest need, and receive the gift of salvation from your sins. Our Christmas series is, uh, is entitled The Thrill of Certain Hope. And that's because, because of Christmas, or more to the point, because of Jesus, we have hope. Real hope, it's not just kind of wishful thinking hope, not just kind of a positive aspiration. We have a sure and certain hope. The future knowledge and expectation that when we appear before God, we will be saved from our sins because Jesus has come as Emmanuel, bringing God's judgment for sin upon himself and bringing salvation from sin for us. This is hope. Real hope, certain hope, hope that brings joy, hope that thrills us, the hope of a saviour. Let's pray.
Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the thrill of certain hope. We thank and praise you that we need not fear because you have met and dealt with our greatest need. We thank you, Lord, that you have come to us, Emmanuel, as our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Father, please prepare our hearts and minds Ready us for Christmas as we acknowledge our greatest need, the need for salvation from our sins. Father, for any here this morning who have as yet not yet received that gift that you have given in Jesus, please open their hearts and minds to receive him, to trust him, to delight in him, to rejoice in him. And Father, may we all this Christmas season, see afresh the hope that you have given us in Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.